Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So I have rules about Christmas, and I don't know if you do, but I do. And since my kids are here, I will be the first to admit that I don't always keep the rules, but I do have rules. And one of my rules of Christmas is, is that Christmas movies, Christmas music, Christmas TV shows, anything that has to do with Christmas, you have to stay away from it until Thanksgiving. And it only runs from Thanksgiving until the end of the year. After that, Everything that has to do with Christmas goes away. There's only one other time, and that is July. For me, July 1st comes, and July is a weird time because it's like it's summer, and it's the middle of summer. All of the exciting graduation, it's summer starting stuff is gone, and it's still another few weeks until football season starts. So it's July. But for me, Christmas time comes in July. So... At night, I turn on my phone and I play music for half an hour, and it's all Christmas music, all in July. I love Christmas. Now, one of the things that I love to do at Christmas time, and I was just turned on to this a couple of years ago, and if you've never been, you need to go, but the, there is a church in Palo Alto. Uh, every year, they do a Christmas creche exhibit, and creche is just a fancy word for nativity. And inside their church, they basically clear everything out maybe eight or nine rooms, is a display after display after display of nothing but nativity scenes from all over the world, from Asian countries, African countries, South American countries. They're clay, they're metal, they're wood, they're glass, crystal. I mean, they're just every nativity scene that you can ever imagine, you can see them there with little cards that tell about their history. And it's very beautiful. And the thing is, you can go every year because it's a traveling show. So every year, the the nativity scenes that they show, that they display, are all different. Because they have a big bank of them, and, and it's only for a week. So we have gone for the last three years, every year for the last three years. And you can go there for, I mean, you can get lost there for a couple of hours. Now, here's an interesting thing. I look at these nativity scenes... And almost all of them have the same kind of thing going on, right? Every single one of them has Joseph. Every single one of them has Mary. And every single one of them has the baby Jesus. But many of them also have another feature, another set of characters that shouldn't be there. And you see this when you look at at these nativity scenes, that these are you know the fancy kind that you buy for $275 a piece, right? That has all the extra packaging that you hide away until that time of year and then open it up and display it, right? And it looks so fancy and pretty like this. And, it, and you look at it and you go, oh, that's what it was like when Jesus was born. No. But you see, you see it and it's like that. You see it on, oh, that's blurry. You see it on um, like advent calendars that they show these pictures of like this. You see it on Christmas cards. And the thing is, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. I may have sent this Christmas card out a few times. 
But the three guys on the left were not there when Jesus was born. And yet, the story to me, every time I see the story, and I don't hear it, but I see it in all of those Christmas exhibits and all of those little nativity scenes, I clearly see those three dudes. But they weren't there. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the three wise men. Now, there's a pastor and author and uh, a seminary professor in Canada, and his name is Mark Buchanan. And he, was, he write, writes about the, the whole concept of the three wise men. And one of the things that he said, which was fascinating to me, he said that there are two types of people who meet Jesus. They are either shepherds or they're wise men. Now, the shepherds, like that night when the shepherds met Jesus, the shepherds were just living their life. They weren't doing anything special. They were going about the regular day, the thing that they normally do day in and day out. And some people do that. That's how some people meet Jesus. You're living your life and something big happens. It could be something really good. Usually it's something really bad. And that draws people into Jesus. But the second group of people are the wise men. And it doesn't mean that they're smarter. It's just that this group of people find Jesus because they're looking for him. Or they're looking for something. And that's who they find. So we're going to look today at this whole story and see what it is about these wise men. And if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, I want you, you have to look at this because how this, how this sentence is phrased is going to be affected by the next verse. Because the next verse says this. It says, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, when it says about that time, we think that it's talking about the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But if you look at the word structure and the way that those sentences are structured, when it says about that time, it was referring to the reign of King Herod. So it wasn't that they were there at the time that Jesus was born, they were there during the time of King Herod, which is also the time Jesus was born. Now, this word that we have translated into English, we've translated it as wise man, is actually in the Greek the word magi. And you probably heard that too, right? Well, magi is not wise men. They're educated people. But magi is more like a sorcerer. That's where we get the word magic and magician. So these weren't religious people. These were mystics who were educated in the East. Well, for the East from them, right? And it says, some wise men. Now, you know the song is one of my favorite songs, We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? And traditionally, as we see on the nativity scenes and we see on the Christmas cards, you see three of those guys. So traditionally, we've understood it to be three. There are some Eastern versions of Christianity where they think it might be 12, but in Scripture, it doesn't tell us how many there are. We assume they were three because there were three gifts that they brought. But we don't know how many of these astrologers came from the east and arrived in Jerusalem. The other thing to remember about them is, is that they were not Christians. They were not Jews. They did not believe in the Christian God. They did not believe in the Jewish God. 
These were people who had other gods and other, other belief systems, and yet they were looking for Jesus. So it says, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Some people estimate that this trip that they took was anywhere between four months and two years to get from where they were to Jerusalem. And they go into town, and they start asking everybody, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, for one second, we have to, to look at culturally what would have been going on here. If these wise men, if these royal astrologers were coming into town, they weren't coming alone. They had a several hundred mile track that they had to come through and they were going back. So along with them, there were camels, there were supplies, there were the gifts that they brought, they had protection, so they had soldiers with them. This was a huge caravan of people and stuff that was coming into the tiny town of Jerusalem. And everywhere they went, they walked in and they were asking, hey, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Because they thought that there should have been a huge celebration, a huge party, a huge reception. Because if they figured out that this was where the newborn king of the Jews should be, then certainly the people who lived there would know it. So they went around the town and they said, hey, where's this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, right? And, and some translations translate as it rose, as, as it rose in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now think about that. They didn't know anything about the scriptural history that the people who were living at that time and were waiting for the Messiah, they didn't know anything about that. But they had come to find Jesus and to worship him. The next verse goes on and he says this, because they, they, they were going all around town, so there was a huge commotion, right? And it's King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. So King Herod was the, the Roman-appointed king at the time, and he heard that there were people who were coming into town looking for the newborn king of the Jews, and it says that he was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Now, that phrase, deeply disturbed, actually is translate, better translated as threatened. Because, you see, he was the king. And he was worried that now there was going to be a new king. So he was threatened, and everyone else in Jerusalem was threatened too. Because if the king is angry, then who knows what kind of evil things that he might do. He goes on, and it says, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. So here's Herod. He hears what's going on with everybody, and everybody's asking for this king of the Jews. And he calls together all of the religious leaders, which would have been Jewish religious leaders, the, the, the rabbis and the Pharisees who had been studying the word, and he calls them together to say, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, you would think that the, their response would be, okay, king, you've got a question. Let me go to the library. Let me look it up online and find out when is this king supposed to be born, right? That's what you would think they would say. But they said, in Bethlehem in Judea. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to study it. 
They knew exactly where the Messiah was supposed to be born. They had been studying it their entire lives. They knew where Jesus was supposed to be. And yet these wise men, these astrologers who had been studying for years, it took them years to figure out exactly when and exactly where this would all happen. And these guys, the religious people at the time, these guys knew exactly where it was supposed to be, and they completely missed it. Mark Buchanan, he writes this. He said, the Magi are steeped in paganism, but have a hunch. The religious leaders are steeped in truth. What do they do with the truth? Absolutely nothing. The Magi have just made a several months long, hundreds of miles, arduous, dangerous journey across the desert on a hunch. The religious leaders have five miles to travel between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and can't be bothered. They can't be bothered. It's not the people who have the knowledge that are the ones who are making the difference. It's the people who have the passion, who have the feeling inside of them, who have that desire. See, some of you who are here today or some of you who are listening to us online, you're not a Christian, but you're here today or you're listening to us because there's a Christian in your life who said, listen to this or come here today. It's not about what you know. And this is what we have seen. The religious leaders, they knew everything, but it is the people with the passion were the ones who were trying to find where Jesus was. In fact, they were trying to figure out who Jesus was. See, it's never been about how much you know. There are some of you in this room right now who are afraid to talk to people about Jesus even though you know him and you've been following him for a long time. You're afraid to talk to people about him because you think you don't know enough. Now listen, the people who knew in this time didn't do anything about it. But it was the people who had a hunger and a passion for him. They're the ones who sought after him. Listen to me. If you are a Christian, I need you to get this. There are people in your life today who are searching for him. And they're waiting for you. The verse goes on like this. This is, this is what happens next. Because Herod finds out that these wise men are going around and they, they're looking for this king of the Jews. So it says, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. Right, so he calls them and he says, hey, come here, I need to talk to you. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. So why are they saying this? So this is what's happening. They knew when the star first appeared, that was when Jesus was born. They're trying to figure out now the time that it took from when the star appeared until that time that they were there. So he wanted to find out how old was Jesus? How old was he now? It goes on in, in verse 8. It says, then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. Search carefully for the child. So 
Herod tipped them off, right? They were in the general vicinity. They were in Jerusalem. And Herod said, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. But Herod didn't want them to search for the child so that he could go and worship them. He says, and when you find him, and you read this, and you can almost kind of see Herod's mind going and see the expression on his face, he says, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. But that's not what Herod wanted. He just wanted to find out where this guy was. So he sends them off, and they go and take their caravans of people and all of their stuff, and they make that five-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. The star is what pointed them to Jesus. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Of course they would be. They traveled how many months and how many hundreds of miles looking for this one kid, and they finally found him. So they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, they didn't get any Bible studies. Right? They didn't get a background or a history on, on who Jesus was and what it all meant. They saw him. They recognized that there was something significant about him, a baby. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, you would think that these guys were go and looking for the king of the Jews, that they would expect to see him in a, in a castle, in a big, large place with, adorned with, with jewels and, and fine uh, fabrics and wrapped in something special. And yet they found him in a simple home. But they knew that it was him, so they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in this because at that time, gold was, was representative of earthly powers and, and frankincense was representative of spiritual powers and myrrh was representative of death because myrrh was an embalming spice. It's what they used to embalm people. And frankincense was uh, one of those um, spices that they used to, to extend spirituality inside, inside people. And gold, well, gold was gold. And this is where we, we get that there were three of them. But these three things that they're bringing, they're not bringing a tiny little box full. Right? These guys are traveling hundreds of miles to bring this stuff to Jesus which kind of completely turns upside down this idea that we grew up with that Jesus was poor. Because he wasn't. He was poor before, but he had a whole caravan of people bringing him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All brought to Jesus. And it goes on and it says the end of the story. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Because the wise men 
figured out what was going to happen to them if they went back to Herod and told him where they found Jesus. So instead of going back through Jerusalem to go home, they went a different way and completely skipped over Jerusalem and never told Herod where he found the baby. And so what did Herod do? He did something that years and years earlier, the prophet Jeremiah predicted exactly what would happen, that there would be weeping, there would be death. And so what did Herod do? It says he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, the word that, that they use to describe the word that they used to describe the baby, the child at the time, is boys. It's not infant. So we know that Jesus was born at least a couple of years after or before the wise men came. So he wasn't there. The wise men weren't there. That's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is that the wise men were looking for Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. See, it's an interesting thing because the wise men didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't know what the significance of Jesus was. In fact, the only reason that the wise men knew that this Jesus, this Messiah, this King of the Jews was being born was 490 years earlier, the Babylonians who were from the east came into Jerusalem and they took over Jerusalem and they brought young men back from Jerusalem to the east and there was a guy, one of the young men that they brought, his name was Daniel. And Daniel lived in Babylon in the east for a long, long time. And Daniel told them all about the prophecies of the Hebrew prophets. And that's how they got the basis of their understanding. And that's how they were able to figure out exactly when all of this was supposed to happen. And that's why they were there. They didn't know what they were looking for. They just knew that what they were looking for was important. There are a lot of people who are looking for Jesus, but don't know that it's Jesus that they're looking for. Many people searching for Jesus don't know it's Jesus that they're searching for. Just like the wise men, they were searching for him, but they didn't know it was him that they were searching for. See, there are people in your life today who are searching for peace of mind that you can only get when you find Jesus. There are people in your life today who, who are uneasy about a health situation. And it's only something that can be solved when you find Jesus. There are people who are looking for something in their lives and they don't know what it is. They don't know that what they're looking for is Jesus. And so just like back then, they're looking, what they need is they need something to show them the way to what it is that they need, the thing that they are looking for that they don't even know. 
I think that the Apostle Paul, and this is just me thinking because of the words that he used, but years, years, years later after this, that he would be writing a letter to the Philippians, and he would write this letter to them, and he would say this. This is in Philippians 2, and in, in this chapter, he was talking to them. He was talking to them about having faith and trust in God because other people are looking at you. And so as he's writing to the churches in Philippi, he says this, do everything without complaining and arguing. In other words, when people see you, they want to see that regardless of what your situation is, regardless of, of how your life is going, they want to see someone who can face it without blaming someone else or without arguing with someone else, without putting the blame out there without saying that it's someone else's fault that this is all happening to me. So he says to them, do everything that you're doing without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Now, some of you who, who are here, who are listening to us, who are not Christians, or you've been coming to church and you just haven't been able to make that decision to place your faith and trust in Jesus, the reason that you're doing that for many of you is because you have seen people in your life who have called themselves Christians and they haven't acted like what a Christian is supposed to act like. And so we get criticized. The number one word that people use to describe Christians is hypocritical. They complain about us. And Paul is saying, listen, you've got to live a life because people are looking at you. And if you were going to wear that Christian sign on your forehead, if you were going to wear that Christian sign on, on, on your chest, then you better make sure that when people see you, that they're not going to be able to criticize you for calling yourselves a Christian. So he says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Leave, live clean, innocent lives because you are children of God. Now, does that mean you're going to do everything perfect? No. Because, listen, I know a lot of innocent kids who certainly mess up a lot, right? Innocence is about perfection. Innocence is about having faith and trust in something other than yourself. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. And then listen to what Paul says. Shining like bright lights in a world of crooked and perverse people. He's saying there's a world out there and there's a lot of people in it who are going down wrong paths, who have a distorted idea in their head of what God is like. And you need to be a shining bright light. Some translations put that word as beacon. But I think that it's possible that when Paul was writing this, that what he had in his mind was star. Be a star in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Because just like it did 2,000 years ago, the star is what points people to Jesus. And every single one of you here today, every single one of you that is listening to us online, every single one of us 
we are a star somewhere. You are the star of South San Francisco, or Daly City, or San Bruno, or Hayward, or Milpitas, or wherever city it is that you live in. You are a star in your city. Some of you, you are the star in your school. You are the star at your work. You are the star at the hospital. You are a star in the high school. You are a star. And people are looking at you because they're thinking, if I can follow that star, it might lead me to something better than where I am today. Every single one of us is a star that someone is looking at. So are you leading people to Jesus? Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.